Greetings, everyone. Welcome to Waging War on Wealth by Leveraging Supplier Diversity Programs Across America. And this, this series is all about how to access contracting opportunities in the public and private and government sector. My name is Tawanda Livingston, and I will be your GPS your ambassador, your way maker, and your game changer in this process. This episode is all about connections. The previous two episodes were about customers and certification. Now we're moving on to the next vitamin C. And if you're interested in knowing what vitamin C is, vitamin C's are what you take in order to maintain the health of your organization to increase the wealth of your organizations. So each episode will share with you in a very important vitamin C. Although there are many, I've selected a few to help you to enable, equip, and empower your business to not only access contracting, but to thrive in this contract, these contracting sectors. So I'm often asked, why am I such a staunch advocate for supplier diversity? And it's simple for me, because we've inherited a discriminatory economic system that denies all Americans the right to rise, specifically minorities and women. For me, it is simple. Once you unhinge or unshackle a person or a company from the lowest rung on the economic ladder and allow them to climb that ladder, something magical happens. Their view changes. Therefore, their possibilities change. Their dreams change. Their hopes change. Their mission change. And giving, giving them that different view helps not only for them to thrive, but their family to thrive and the community in which they live can thrive. So that's why I'm a very, I'm very passionate about supplier diversity and making sure we are leveraging it to the max in order to increase the economic well-being of minority and women businesses. So I want to make sure you are aware that there are trillions of dollars that are earmarked for small and diverse businesses via the public, private, and government sector, and they are under an umbrella of either a supplier diversity program, a small business program, a socially disadvantaged program, a minority and women business program. However, these contracting opportunities have been identified specifically for businesses like yourself. And if you want to increase your customer, your customer base, as well as your bottom line, accessing and tapping into supplier diversity programs across America will definitely help your business to grow. In addition, public and private and government contracting is not for the faint of heart. But I know you don't have a faint heart because you've made your hard work, your hard work by becoming an entrepreneur. Thank you for becoming an entrepreneur because you are the drivers of our economy. 
So it is my role to make sure, and I feel as though it's my obligation to make sure that you are able to thrive in this contracting space because one, it creates more jobs in the marketplace. You hire more, you're, you're more flexible and agile in the marketplace. You're able to meet customer needs on demand just basically by your sheer size of your company. And you support the local and social economies that are around you, schools, um, streets, um, you know, roads and highways and things of that nature. They all come from the tax dollars from small business owners like yourself. So it's only right those dollars are then poured, poured back into your company to help you thrive in the marketplace. So would you like to access those uh, contracting opportunities? Great. So we already talked about what the vitamin C's were, and I just want you to know that by accessing um, these contracting opportunities, I'm always uh, asked, what are these contracting opportunities you keep on harping about? What is it so exciting about these contracting opportunities? Well, I'm here to tell you that these sectors purchase everything from paper clips to pipes, mats to missiles, foods to facilities, office supplies to staff augmentation, training to technology, solutions to staples, and the list goes on. And if you are telling yourself that I'm too small to do business with such large organizations, I need for you to stop telling yourself that lie. Let me just tell you, there are informal contracting opportunities that are less than $100,000 you can access, and there's formal opportunities that are typically above $100,000 that you can access and tap into as a prime or subcontractor. There's also purchases made by large organizations in these sectors by credit cards that are $5,000 or less or some, some companies are $25,000 or less. So again, there's opportunities for you to be successful in this contracting arena. In fact, room has been made for you to not only access to but to thrive in this in these contracting sectors via supply diversity or mwbe or dbe programs you just have to tap in and stay in until you win and in if you have the right infrastructure your business is ready willing and able you can definitely thrive in this con these contracting sectors So before we move on to the vitamin C for this particular episode, I need to make, I have to be really upfront with you. So can we really talk? So when you're, when you are doing business with these sectors, you need to bring your A game because excellence is a must, a must, nothing less than excellence and always more. Your clients are going to demand it in this space because once they hire you as a prime or subcontractor, you start to represent their brand and they want to increase their brand equity. They do not want to hire contractors or subcontractors that are going to distract or take or subtract from their brand equity. So you must operate in the area at all times of excellence. We will not settle for anything less than excellence. So do not put forth your 18 in a proposal or a bid and then send your B and C team 
um, you have to deliver on excellence always because it is going to help to build your brand credibility in the marketplace and then also increase your customer base and then you're able to build long-term customers and create a long-term um, revenue stream for your business. So in order to outpace the Fortune 500 and 1,000, you must be willing to go where they are not willing to go in order to win and retain and sustain loyal customers. Leverage your key attributes, which is your size and agility. These are your superpowers. Think about it. Large companies cannot flex as, as easily as you can as their customer needs flex. You can, you're able to bring customized solutions at a drop of a dime to your client base and your customer base. And if you're not, you need to build in that agility into your uh, value proposition for your customers. Because you're going to be, if you want to compete against the five, Fortune 500 and 1000, think about it. They are stuck in, in their rules and regimen, and they have these policies and practices and procedures that makes them hard to turn on a dime. However, small businesses and diverse and small businesses are able to do that. So that's why they are your superpowers, and you need to be able to leverage those and make sure they're in your value proposition as you are stating the value um, that you can bring to your customer the solution, the value-driven solution you could bring to your customer. So some of the top five areas you must focus on in order to thrive in this contracting area and to deliver on excellence, you have to shift your focus from increasing and improving customer satisfaction to growing your loyal customer base by what? Creating a memorable and indelible customer experience. You must improve your customer experience. You know, so so we're so focused on whether the customer is satisfied, which is, to me is a very reactive approach in, 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 instead of being focused on more proactive, how can I create the best possible customer experience that will drive my customers back to my brand or my service or good and outpace the competition. And also the customer will then be able to tell other customers, uh, potential customers about how great the service was. Think, think about it. Aren't you, aren't you willing to pay a little bit more for uh, a better quality of coffee. In fact, some of us will drive an extra two miles to get a certain brand of gas. So think about it. Your customers, it's not necessarily the price tag all the time, but it is a cost. You gotta be able to cost effective and competitive with your cost, absolutely. But if you are able to create a, a invaluable, customer experience that will drive your customers to you and by word of mouth, they will drive other customers to you. You must inspire, motivate, and incent your people. You have to be the catalyst for excellence in your organization. So you have to set up a infrastructure that allows your workforce and your employees and your people to thrive.
You have to operate an ethically and financially sound business. It's very, very important. No one wants to be associated with an unethical business who, who is, and that business is not able to manage their bookkeeping and pay their bills and their suppliers and are in debt. And they take the whole shit down with them because of their unethical and improper financial management. So you gotta be on top of your game in that area, or you need to surround yourself with folks who can help you be on top of your game in that area. You have to develop trusted relationships, not only with your suppliers, your customers, uh, and your community, but also your competition. Because believe it or not, when the competition respects you because of your ethical practice, your integrity of your brand and services, they will refer clients to you. Um, when, they, when they are made aware of client needs that are out of the scope of their work and their possibilities, they will often refer a clients to another trusted brand or another trust, a trusted company. And I'm telling you that you wanna be that company. And make sure you develop a strategic plan to go along with your business plans and your business road mapping that has built into it your succession plan, not only for your business as a whole, uh, who, who am I going to uh, bequeath or lead the business to, or, or how am I going to exit the business, but also for your leadership and your talent. Um, make sure you're building in customer engagement strategies and market strategies that evolve as the marketplace involves. Do not get stuck in a rut practicing or doing uh, hiring practices or customer engagement strategies from the 80s when there is so much technology now that you can leverage uh, to increase your customer experience, to improve your hiring practices and your employee engagement, and also create a mechanism by which you have succession planning inside um, your organization for your leadership because your leadership becomes the face of your brand. So you wanna make sure you build something into your strategic plan that deals with, with these particular factors as well as other factors, environmental factors make, that may impact your business. So on to the vitamin C. So this episode deals with connection. You have to make connection. Now, I know I talked about connection in the customer episode, which was episode two, but this, this C is about growth connections. So creating those growth connections. So I'm here to tell you, absolutely, your network will determine your net worth. I mean, you need to ingrain that into your mindset. Your network determines your net worth. Very, very important. So you have to level up your growth connections. You have to level up all your connections, but you definitely want to level up your growth connections. So improving your circle of influence. These are the folks or the resources that are around you that helps you to level up, to help you to improve and stretch your company. Who you are keeping company with really does matter. Who you are surrounding yourself with really does matter and can impact the growth of your organization. 
either you are, are climbing or sliding, either you are succeeding or failing, either you are living or dying, there's no in-between and having the right people around you is key to keeping you at peak performance. So I, I already stated that in episode two, we talked about the connection to your customer. I share with you customer engagement strategies on how to speak your customer language and making sure you do your homework on your customer, meeting your customers where they are and bringing them along and leading, right? Leading with your capabilities and closing with your certification. Again, you want to, when you're engaging your customers, you want to start about, you want to start the conversation on the value or the solution you can bring to them that will help them improve or improve their, their customer experience or increase their brand equity. Growth connections are simply connections that will support you with growing your business, stretching yourself personally and professionally, and you know, stretching your employees, keep you growing. Because remember, you either growing or dying. There is no in-between. Growth connections will positively push you into your purpose, your possibilities, and prosperity. So if you are the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. If you are in a circle that only discusses limitations or how something cannot be done, you're in the wrong circle and, and or in the wrong room. If you are surrounded by folks that make you doubt your dreams and pursuits or purposes, you are not in the right circle. If you are surrounded by folks that do not force you to aspire or that inspires you or motivates you, you are in the wrong circle. So again, this is about surrounding yourself with growth connections, people who are speaking in the affirmative, people who are driving things forward that other folks are talking about what is impossible, these people dwell in the possibilities. These resources dwell in making dreams a reality, turning those impossibilities into possibilities and then into profits. Your circle of influence must be in a position to enable you, to empower you, and equip you for immeasurable success. Your circle of influence can, 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 uh, can include connections such as customers, um, champions, sponsors, and ambassadors. And I want to spend a little time here on these champions, sponsors, and ambassadors because you're going to need those. You're going to need folks inside the organization that you want to do business with, champion for you, being waymakers for you. Remember, it's not about what people say about you when you're in the room. It's what they say about you and your company when you're out of the room. So having ambassadors or champions or sponsors in the room at the table advocating for you is definitely a plus and a must in this aggressive marketplace. So having champion sponsors and ambassadors inside the organization is very, very important. And some of those champions, champions and ambassadors and sponsors can be folks in the supplier diversity office or MBE or DBE or socioeconomic, uh, socioeconomic disadvantage office. 
small business office, but you need a voice at the table that would be your the mouthpiece for your service or good because you can't be at that table. And if someone is talking about a goods or service that you can bring value, you can not only you could bring to them, but you can bring value to the process and how they serve their customers. You want that champion or ambassador. Your circle influence may include like-minded cohorts, consortiums, strategic partners, and alliances. These are folks that are the best of the best in their particular industry, and you are surrounding yourself with those people and those resources so that you can be the best of the best, the MVP in your area, to keep you stretching, to keep you striving and thriving. You want to surround, in your circle influence may also include chambers, associations, committees or boards or uh, member-based organizations or certification agencies. Again, surrounding yourself with folks that are going to push you into your greatness. Push your company up the ladder and not hold you down and shackle you to the lowest rung of the ladder of the economic ladder. Your circle uh, may include coaches, various types of coaches or mentors. You can have business coaches, faith-based coaches, health coaches, uh, strategic coaches, uh, spiritual coaches. I mean, it, it could go on, the list can go on, but the key is to be able to assess where the gaps are in your organization or your business and to identify a coach that can help coach you back into position, get you back to the playing field, off the bench, moving you from rookie to MVP. And then you also want to surround yourself and your organization with self-affirmations. You must be positive about the future. It has to be a positive environment for your employees to thrive in that excellence uh, mode that we, what, that we need to be in to outpace the competition. I'm here to tell you whatever you plant in your mind or your business will grow, whether it is fruit or poison. So you have to surround yourself with positive uh, resources, positive people, um, po your, your circle of influence has to be positive. Again, feeding yourself and your organization positive affirmations is very, very important. I know people shy away from the soft skills, but think of it as your mantra. What is, what, what is our tagline? What is our mantra? What are we going to be known for in the marketplace? When, when folks say ABC company, what are they going to instantly think of when they hear our company brand? So again, positive self-affirmations for you, your employees, um, your circle influence, and the mantra for your organization or business. You must be in a position to surround yourself with growth connections that are more successful than you, wealthier than you, smarter than you, and more influential because they will inspire and motivate you if you don't let your ego get in the way. And most of you know that EGO for me stands for acronym, E-G-O. The acronym stands for edging greatness out, edging goodness out, and dare I say edging God out. So you have to make way for growth. 
in your organization by squashing the ego. Pride before the fall, right? But it's humility before honor. And again, in order for you to grow, you have to be open to that growth and not think that you know everything there is to know and no one can help you or your business. You have it all, you know it all, and you can do it all. So again, surrounding yourself with people that will stretch you and people that you aspire to be in that, that realm, their circle, that's where you want to be at. People that are going to inspire you, motivate you, and give you aspirations to grow and stretch your company. Growth connections, as I stated, will push and pull you into your greatness if you surround yourself with the right network. So I know that in episode two, I talked about customers and then there I talked about customer connections, but I'm going to expand on customer connections again here because I think it's very, very important to bring that um, in, bring that information into this particular vitamin C as well, because you must continuously date your customer. You have to put in the spade work. And when I say dating your customer, let's think about it. When you're, when you're first starting dating someone, you are, you're crisp, your clothes are crisp, you're looking good, you're smelling good, you're the best of the, you're, you're the best of your best self because you're bringing it all to the table because you're trying to impress this person that you're dating. Well, similarly in business, especially in the contracting arena in these sectors, you have to keep dating the organization. You always got to be, you always have to be, you have to bring your best self. You always have to be bringing your A game to the table to keep dating. They do not want to see you in rollers. They don't want to see you uh, slacking off, not looking as fit and beautiful as you were when we first started dating. You know, you, you must continually, uh, you know, and, and sit them to keep doing business with you, to entice them, to attract them, to retain them, you must keep dating them. And that requires some spade work. You know, so some customers require higher touches than other customers to create uh, a great customer experience. But keep dating, keep dating, keep, keep those connections sharp, make sure your image is sharp, always show up and show out as I always state, because again, you never know what the competition um, is whispering in their ear, and you don't even want them to even entertain competition because you provide them not only value-driven solutions, but you give the, you provide them the best customer experience they can have in this particular sector. So some of the working work customer connections that I, I really do want to focus on is the United States federal government. Um, some people shy away from the federal government because it is a monstrosity. <laughs> it is huge. Let me just say this. It is huge. However, one of the largest customers in the world is the U.S. federal government. The U.S. federal government spends trillions of dollars with contractors and vendors and suppliers like yourself. One of the biggest registration portals or registration systems that you can get in is the federal government's what we call SAM system. That's the system for award management. It's a powerful registration tool. 
I encourage all businesses that I consult to register in SAM because it provides them with access to all federal departments. It provides access to federal business opportunities and other businesses that are seeking to do business with the federal government. And you can leverage those that contact information in there from those businesses by doing more B2B marketing outreach. And again, you want to do your homework and do your due diligence, of course, when doing businesses with folks that are registered in there because it's a registration portal. It is not a, a validation portal. So it's up to you to validate the information that vendors put in, in there um, about their business. So that's why I say do your homework. However, it is it creates a the SAM system creates a portal for some powerful connections that you can make if you can leverage it. In addition, in the SAM system, there is the dynamic small business portal, and you can leverage that as well. And that's where you identify your business as a certified minority business or woman-owned business or disadvantaged business in that portal. And it allows government agencies as well as other contractors in the portal to seek you out based on your type of certification and your uh, your business services or goods. So again, um, and the reason why you want to identify your, your certification, again, it's a marketing tool as well is because government contracts, public and private uh, contracts may have uh, specific subcontracting goals related to specific certifications like minority business, women business, and being able to easily sort through uh, portals to identify firms that can meet that need is, is really critical uh, for prime contractors or firms that are looking for joint ventures or strategic alliances or government agencies who are looking for diverse or small businesses to do direct business with. So being having the ability to leverage the dynamic small business portal is it's it's very it's a great great uh, tool to be registered in, and again, um, it's a very powerful tool. The dynamic small business portal is managed by the SBA. The SBA, which, which is the Small Business Administration, does not does not um, certify all the businesses that are in there. They do not legitimize all the businesses that, that are in there. So if you're seeking to do business with someone who states that they're a dynamic small business and they're certified, um, you want to do your due diligence to make sure you get a copy of the certification of that business. Because primarily what you need to know that the SAM registration system is a self-identified system as well, self-identified. Businesses self-identify themselves as small businesses, women business, minority business, and, if, and they may not be certified or they may be certified. That's why you need to do your homework and do your due diligence. So you, so I also want to share that the SAM system is the official federal government registration portal for all of the contractors that want to do business with them or if anyone's receiving any federal funds through grants and things of that nature they must register in the SAM system if you want to register in SAM you can go to sam.gov that's s-a-m-s-a-m.gov um, it's no cost 
It's a free tool. And again, you can register there to do business with the federal government. Um, you can update and renew your, your entity registration. I mean, it's a very easy system once you get in there and you learn the system. Um, it's a very powerful tool. You can check statuses of other entities that are registered. Um, and then, like I said, you can search for other businesses that you want to do business with, or you have a complimentary service that will help them with their clients, et cetera, and you believe that doing business with them will be um, invaluable to both of your businesses. Again, a great customer engagement tool and one of the largest in the world. A SAM registration is required, as I stated, to work with federal agencies. Um, as you know, whether you're a contractor or you're receiving some type of grant, um, we talked about the dynamic small business um, search and registration. And again, this is a self-certifying database. The SBA does not make any representation of the accuracy of the information that's in there. Other than the certifications which they are responsible for authenticating, and that is the 8A certification, the hub zone, uh, the small disadvantaged business status, Again, those are the ones that the SBA either certify themselves or have third-party certifiers to certify. So they will validate those. However, everything else, you know, it, it's like I said, it's 99.9% .9 of self-certifying database. So you need to confirm the accuracy of the information of the businesses that you're seeking to do business with. But more importantly, you want to make sure your information is accurate in there as well. Registering your business with either public, private, or government sector may require you to insert your federal tax ID number, and some people call them the FIN number, the TIN number, the EIN number. Um, so you want to make sure you have that information readily available. Um, uh, some organizations will ask you for your DUN number. That's the Dun and Bradstreet uh, issued number um, that talks about the financial stability of your company. There is the CAGE number, the C-A-G-E number, or for foreign company, foreign companies is the N-C-A-G-E number. They may ask you for those numbers. And what you need to know is that the E-I-N number is also known as the Federal Tax Identification Number or 10 number. Um, is used to identify a business or entity. Now, typically businesses need an EIN number. Um, and you can apply for EIN number, it's free. Uh, you can do it online. Um, you wanna make sure you check with your state to see if you need a state number or a charter number. Uh, but to find more about um, getting an EIN number, 10 number, or FIN number, you want to go to irs.gov. Before you apply, if you don't already have one of these numbers or any of these numbers, um, make sure you do your homework and consult your accountant or CPA or attorney, if you're getting advice from attorney, before you apply and submit paperwork for these numbers. Again, my advice always is when you are uh, engaging customers or you are uh, dealing with anything related to your tax and your bookkeeping, 
that you have a CPA and an attorney on board that can properly advise you. So what's a cage number? Um, a cage number is a commercial and government entity number. It's a five character number and it's assigned by uh, the Department of Defense, uh, um, the Defense Logistics Agency, the DLA. And it's a, it supports various uh, computerized systems throughout the government. Um, it's a way for them to standardize the method of identifying uh, legal entities in their location. Um, agencies may also use uh, the CAGE number for facility clearance or for pre-award surveys. There is no cost to obtain a CAGE code or a CAGE number. Now, for U.S.-based businesses, you do not need to apply for a CAGE number before you register in SAM. Because once you register in SAM, your information will be submitted to the DLA or the Defense Logistics Agency, and they will sign a CAGE number, and then the SAM system will automatically attach it to your entity registration in the SAM system, okay? So you don't need to do anything separate. Once you do that registration, you'll automatically get your CAGE number or CAGE code. For non-US located SAM registrants, there is the NATO Commercial and Government Entity Code or number, and that's the NCAGE code or number. And, the, and this is assigned to uh, entities or businesses that are outside the United States and its territory, um, you, if you have a business that is outside the U.S. and its territories, you'll be required to get your NCAGE code or NCAGE code um, prior to completing your SAM registration. Very, very important. Um, the, I need to also let you know that the NATO Commercial and Government Entity Code or NCAGE code is NATO's, it's a part of NATO's codification system. So again, this is for foreign entities that are seeking to do business with the federal government or getting any subsidies or grants from the federal government. They will be required to register in SAM. And if they're, and, and before they complete their registration in SAM, they need to get that uh, NCAGE or NCAGE code. And again, this is for foreign entities only. For non-SAM registrants, you can still get a CAGE code, even if you're not doing any business with the federal government or you don't have any grants from the federal government. And again, obtaining those codes are free. Also, when you register with your customers, uh, whether they're private, public, or government sector, they may require you to complete a W-9 form. And you need to be in the know of what the W-9 form is and how it impacts your organization. So businesses, your customer, businesses that you're doing business with, um, obtain from you what we call an IRS form W-9. And that is to request your tax identifi taxpayer identification information uh, and certification so they can get the information on their vendors uh, that they hire independent contractors or freelancers. So it's your customer getting information about you for tax purposes. Um, 
so when a when a business pays a contractor more than six hundred dollars during a specific tax year, it has to report those payments to the IRS. So and they report those payments via the form 1099-MISC, miscellaneous, 1099 miscellaneous, and it collects the information about your business. Um, so it have either the social security number, your tax ID number, um, but it's important to know that the W-9 is not filed with the IRS. That's not what is filed. The W-9 is specifically for your customers requesting that information. So if they pay you more than $600, 1099 is issued so that they can report those um, payments to your firm, to the IRS. Business that, that hire independent contractors do do not your your customer does does not pay your income tax does not pay your medicare your social security um whether you're a contractor or you're a sole proprietor or individual consultant they hire they're not paying those so it's up to you as the contractor you're responsible for those obligations to yourself and your employees and the IRS wants to know how much the entity is paying you so they can, they can know how much taxes you owe on that particular revenue. So again, just wanna emphasize that when you're registering with organizations to do business with them, they may require you to complete and upload a W-9 form, which is for their purposes only. If they pay you more than $600, um, they have to uh, complete a form 1099-MISC, uh, uh, which is miscellaneous, for the federal government so they can let them know how much they paid you so the federal, gov federal government IRS can know how much you should be taxed on that, that particular revenue. So moving on in connections, when you're dealing with your customer connections, which is, is also a very powerful growth connection, you must register, manage, and engage and respond to those connections and registrations. Because most organizations want you to register with them. But it, it has to go, you have to do more than to just register to get value from that registration, to generate revenue from that registration, to increase your business and your customer base from that registration. So I always tell businesses, as I mentioned earlier, to, to make sure you're dating, right? You're always dating your customer, but make sure you show up and show out consistently because that's what your clients want. They want consistency. They want to, if they rely on your brand, they want to be able to rely on your brand consistently. So let's talk about registering with your customer. Always keeping the customer first. That's, that is laser-like laser -like focuses on your customer and always. Everything you're doing in your business has to generate value for your customer, has to generate a return on your investment. If you look at the full customer value stream from your business, everything has to be giving something something of value, bringing some value to your customers um, in some shape or form. So let's talk about the registrations. Make sure you keep your registration with these entities up to date. I can't stress that enough. 
Um, oftentimes, I've been in this field for over 25 years. Uh, businesses fail to keep their information up to date. So when there are immediate contracting opportunities that we can do some direct sourcing with them, the phone numbers are wrong, the email addresses are wrong, or they changed their address, or they don't have a W-9 on file, and they should have. So again, you want to make sure your registrations are current, uh, correct, and complete. Also be aware that some registration systems have expirations, so expiration dates, and they require you to go in to test your registration or update your registration periodically to keep your registration active. So some of the general information that these registration systems ask for is the name of your company, primary and secondary contact, your physical address, your mailing address. Um, some folks even have like an invoicing address or someone to contact about um, payments or invoices or accounts receivables. Um, they will ask for your telephone, your mobile number, your fax number, email address, website, and sometimes they want your social media links uh, for your organization or company. So again, these are some of the general things that they ask for when you're registering. Another, uh, some of the important things that they ask when, they when you register your business, uh, besides your business description, a briefing of your business description, is the North American Industry Classification System codes. We call them the NACS code. Now, so we're all on the same page. This, the NACS codes is used by the Federal Statistical Agency, the, the Bureau of Census, in classifying your business or establishment. Um, and this is for the purpose of collecting and analyzing and um, publicizing statistical data related to uh, the U.S. business economy. So they have a codification system in where they classify businesses. Using those classification and information, um, they're able to do some um, empirical or economic analysis on our business market. And you want to make sure as a business that you have the correct NICS code. Um, so... And, is, and if you are a certified business, you want to make sure your certification reflects your correct next code. Very, very important. Because if, a if you say if you were serving as a subcontractor and the prime wants to use you to do some hauling, and then we look at your certification in the, in the responsive stage of reviewing the bids and solicitations and proposals, we see that your certification says that you're an accounting firm. Well, we will uh, deem that using you as a subcontractor as non-responsive. Now, some agencies will allow primes to cure that during the evaluation uh, process, but some agencies will kick you out. Say you, the prime should have did their due diligence and making sure that the sub that they were using was certified um, in that particular area of business via their next codes. That's why on um, the certification letters you receive and the certification certificates you see, you see the next code printed on there. You want to make sure that next code is in your customer system. Okay, and as is current, correct, and complete. And if you're certified, you want to make sure that Mac those those next codes that you enter in the system, your customer's registration system matches what you're certified in. 
Similarly, there are uh, the standard industry classification or SIC codes. These are four-digit numerical uh, representation of major businesses and industries. Um, they are assigned based on common ca characteristics shared in products and services in, in production and or delivery systems of businesses. There's also the NGIP codes, which are the National Institute of Governmental Purchasing Codes. And this is a universal categorization for identifying commodities and services in government and public procurement systems. I mean, these classification codes could be three digit, five digit, seven, and some are even 11 digit. And again, they're primarily used by the public and government sectors. There are other commodity codes or classification systems as well. Sometimes your customers will have customized commodity codes and classification systems. You want to make sure you do your due diligence and do a crosswork crosswalk, I'm sorry, between their customized codes to your legitimate, and what I'm saying legitimate, meaning that they're assigned by the either a NAX code or a SIC code or NGIP code. Um, and you want to be able to crosswalk to make sure you marry it up properly so you're identified in the registration system properly. And the reason why I'm spending so much time on this is because most supplier and reg supplier and render registration systems have a uh, e-notification and e-alert system. And that those e-alerts and um, e-notifications are driven by your NACS code or SIC code or NGIP codes to let you know when contracting opportunities that match up to your business profile are being solicited. So if those codes are wrong, then you will either not get any emails, e emails or e-alerts or e-notifications, or you'll get the wrong emails or e-alerts and e-notifications. So um, if you want to get for, for a sidebar, just so you know that there is a crosswalk of the NACS codes and SIC codes available online at the NACS Association, and that's N-A-I-C-S Association. You can go there and look at that crosswalk if you need to do that. And um, just a special note, just to let you know, a business may only be assigned one primary NACS or SIC code. Uh, which is basically determined by the industry classification that generates the highest revenue or value for your company. However, you can have secondary NICS codes or SIC codes. So you'll all have one primary, which is driven by um, the high, you know, whatever service or good that's generating the highest revenue stream for your company, but then you can have other secondary codes as well. And if your clients registration or vendor registration allows you, you want to put in your primary and secondary next codes because you never know when your customer may need those other lines of services from you. And also you want to make sure your secondary next codes are on your certifications with the agencies that you're certified as a minority or woman-owned business or disadvantaged business or small business. You want to also make sure your business description is um, succinct and current, correct, and complete. You, they normally give you a limited space to type out your business description. So you want to make sure you put in the pertinent details of the service and goods that you provide. 
You want to make sure absolutely you put in your socioeconomic certifications, um, what how many the system accept you want to be able to put them all in there if you can if you can't put all of your certifications in there make sure you identify which certifications are important to the customer you're you're registering in their portal you know you want to do your homework to see what certifications matter to that customer so if the customer only accepts mbe and wbe then you want to put in, and it's only two spaces, you want to put in MBE and WBE. If they only accept veteran-owned, you're only going to put in your veteran-owned. Again, research what certifications that is important to the customers, customer that you're registering in their vendor or supplier portal, and make sure you identify those certifications um, that you have in their, in, on your, in your business profile in that portal. And if they give you unlimited space to list all your certifications, absolutely, I would encourage you to list them all because you never know when they're going to, you know, become handy or value to your, your customer or yourself. You also want to identify your payment method. So some systems, because the supplier registration system is tied to the contracting system, um, the, the procure-to-pay systems your clients may have, they will ask you to identify payment methods, um, credit, whether you accept credit cards, whether you can do an ACH or EDI, electronic data interchange, transaction, or what methods of payments do you accept? And I always tell folks to make sure you check off credit cards because there are a lot of dollars that are spent on company issued credit cards that you can do transactional business with your clients and that could be your foot into door in the door to help turn that transactional client into a loyal client again make sure you identify your payment methods and if they allow you to uh, state whether you accept credit cards again you want to check yes um, because buyers and other uh, departments may use the portal to identify firms. And if you don't accept credit cards because they're trying to get a quick purchase, that may throw you out of the box and then you'll lose out to the competition. Um, some registrations require you to list any special license, permits, and other certifications. You'll be required in most registration systems today to upload or submit your W-9, we talked about that. Um, some will ask for your DUN number, which is the DUN and Bradstreet number, your CAGE number, and we talked about your EIN, TIN number may be needed. And again, the EIN, TIN number can either be submitted on the W-9 uh, or it could be something asked for separately. Some registrations will also you allow you to upload your capability statement. So again, if it allows you to do that, you want to make sure you have a customized, compelling capability statement that speaks to that particular customer. Now, some of, of you offer general services. It's, you know, it's a straight line of service, and this is the value you can bring, and you're going to use one basic capability statement. But it, keep in mind that there's competition also in that portal, in that registration portal, and you want to make sure your capability statement stands out if the client researches you. So make sure you, I'd like to say, compelling or customized capability statement available um, if it allows you to upload it. 
Now, make sure you have the right technology to engage with your customers. With these registration and vendor portals, they work better on desktop or laptop than they do on tablets and iPhones or phones, any type of phone. So again, make sure you have the right technology platform or you're using the right technology hardware uh, in order to uh, do a proper registration, making sure you're, you're, you're completing everything that needs to be completed uh, with that registration. Now it's time for you to manage your registrations. So once you get all of that set up, you still have to um, periodically check your profile, making sure your information is current, correct, and complete. Again, if you're not getting any e-alerts or e-notifications about contracting opportunities, check your profile. Check your primary and secondary NICS codes or other classification codes or business description to make sure it is current, correct, and complete. Um, and if you still are not getting any e-alerts or e-notifications, you may want to reach out to the organization administrator or the supplier diversity office or MBE office um, to check to see what you can do to start to receive more e-notifications and e-alerts. Now, once you start to get those e-notifications or e-alerts, it's going to be up to you to manage those notifications. And I would encourage you to touch it. You want to have the right of refusal, meaning that most companies that I've seen um, who get the e-notification e and e-alerts, they'll look at the title of the contracting opportunity and say, oh, I can't do that, and then blow it off. However, I would encourage you to practice the principle of REF. Reading is fundamental. Because if you open up the full solicitation, there may be subcontracting opportunities that you are capable in a position to fulfill for that particular prime that's going after the opportunity, or you might learn that you have a better solution that you can offer your client um, related to that particular opportunity. But if you you will not know unless you open it up and read it or have someone in your office read the solicitation, specifically the minimum requirements and the scope of work to see whether or not um, you can help with this particular contract. Also, in the, in the actual solicitation, they will list whether there is uh, some type of socioeconomic requirement, meaning a MBE or WBE subcontracting goal, a small business goal, a veteran uh, a small business goal. And, and if they do have those subcontracting goals in there, you want to be able to identify that as a particular opportunity you can tap into. And then some of the solicitations also have the types of subcontracting opportunities. So you want to be able to review that list as well. But again, if you do not touch it, because the title of it says something like water main replacement. And so I can't do that. You will miss the ability to haul, um, to provide traffic control if you do that, porter potties, temporary electric, all the other um, services that are required in order to fulfill that contract. Also, e-notification and e-alerts will make you aware of pre-bid and pre-proposal 
meetings. And once you get those notifications, again, you want to touch it and have a right of refusal because some of the businesses that you may want to engage with may be at those pre-proposals and pre-bid meetings. And more importantly, I can tell you at the pre-proposal and pre-bid meetings, you'll meet decision makers, you'll meet the buyers, um, you can meet other uh, businesses that you can align yourself with or become strategic partners, joint ventures, prime and sub relationship. But first, you have to open up the notification to know it's going to happen. So again, you want to be able to manage those notifications and some of your, some customers, supplier and, and vendor registrations also will send out notices of special or targeted outreach events for special projects or um, they're having a special open house for small businesses. But again, you will not know it unless you open up those notifications, see whether or not you need to attend because time is money. So you wanna make sure uh, if, you're, if you do need to attend, to, that you plan to attend. And then um, also you wanna know who's gonna be there, see if it's a value to you. But again, you won't be able to do any of that research if you don't open up the notification. Uh, I would encourage you once you get registered in your customer's supplier or vendor registration, leverage that registration portal. Similar to Sam's, where you're able to research, you know, research other companies that you may want to do business with that are not necessarily the government, but people who provide services to the government. Same thing with these portals. Leverage those registration portals to connect with other businesses that you can market your business with, seek out partnerships, because like I said, you may offer a complementary service to what the, the other business has, and you guys can go after the contract together so that you both can win. It's better to have 50% of something than 50% of nothing, correct? All right. And then so I just want to take a sidebar here. Make sure you check your business rep reputation on social media, the internet, web-based feedback portals. What are your customers and clients saying about you in the internet world or the social media world? What does your business, business's community and civic engagement say about you? What do your affiliations, your business or your personal affiliations say about you? And the reason why I'm bringing that up uh, because again, it's about your brand. You are your brand. And in order to protect their brand, the customer is going to do background checks on you to make sure you are a good fit for doing business with them. So if there's any negative, anything negative associated with you or they consider negative that's associated with you, they will disassociate themselves from you or distance themselves from you in order to protect their brand. So it does matter what is out there in the social media world, internet world, about your company, and sometimes about yourself as being the CEO of the company or a principal of the practice. So again, you make sure you check your rep reputation out there so you can, you can address any negative or adverse feedback if you're asked by your client or customer about it. So engage and, and or respond. This is very, very important. So now you have the right to refuse, you're gonna to touch it. You're, when you're reviewing the, the e-notifications or um, e-alerts, you're going to review them 
one or two ways, right? You're going to review, am I, I going to be able to go after this contract opportunity as a prime or will I be seeking out subcontracting opportunities? That's a strategic decision in some place, some business is a practical decision, but it's a strategic decision that you have to make at that point on how you want to pursue that particular contracting opportunity with your customer or client. So if you're going to pursue it as a prime, then there's some things that you're going to need to do as a prime in order to pursue it. You're going to have to review the minimum qualifications. You're going to have to review the scope of work and the statement of work. Um, you got to review the site plans. You got to see whether there's a mandatory site visit because if there is a mandatory site visit and you do not show up for that site visit, but you submit a bid or proposal in response to the solicitation, they can deem you non-responsive because that was a requirement that you needed to have met before submitting your bid or proposal. You want to understand from the solicitation what are the what are the are, are the prime roles and responsibilities on the contracting opportunity? What percentage of the work is required to be performed by the by you as a prime? You want to understand the insurance and bonding requirements. You want to review your terms and review the terms and conditions because they'll have in there their general terms and conditions or special conditions. And once you submit your bid and proposal, you are agreeing to those terms and conditions. So you want to make sure you're aware of those and review those. And that's why it's very important to have an attorney on board so they can help you understand what you're signing up for or signing into. You want to review the socioeconomic requirements, goals, or expectations. So if there is a MBE goal or a WBE goal or an SBE goal, you want to know what those subcontracting goals are and whether you as a prime have to fulfill those goals. And I say have to fill those goals is because some entities, if the prime is a certified minority business or disadvantaged business or, or woman-owned business that they recognize, they will allow them to self-perform. However, most entities are moving away from self-performance and expecting the prime MBE or WBE to also further subcontract out with diverse and small businesses. So again, reading the solicitation will help you understand um, what those requirements are. Also, uh, you want to be able to research past winners and past losers. So most contracting portals is a repository of past solicitations for that particular organization. Um, so what I'm basically saying is that the historical information based on solicitations may be housed in your customer's uh, supplier or vendor portal because it's also their contracting portal. And you can research past winners of specific solicitations. You can also, in some cases, look at the bid tabs for those solicitations to see how the winner bid it on each line item. You can look at who submitted proposals for a particular RFP and who submitted the winning proposals. And the, the, the reason why you're identifying winners and losers is because one, you wanna uh, size up the competition if you're going after that as a prime, or you may see some others out there you want to do joint ventures and partnerships with um, so that you can win as a prime for this particular contract and opportunity. And I would encourage you 
to play around with these systems to see what historical information is out there about that solicitation because I what I found in my 25 years is that very rarely is something new purchased for a client, especially a client that has been doing contracting as long as most of the public government and private agencies that have a successful supplier diversity programs. So they purchase the same things typically a year after year. Um, and when they do have special projects, they will send out those special notifications and do special outreach, or they may even do an RFI request for information because they're entering into a new arena, and that will give you some insight as to where they're going in the future. Um, but again, the key here is to do your homework. So, so engage and respond. The first thing you're going to decide, do I pursue this as a prime or do I pursue this as a subcontractor. If you're going to pursue it as a subcontractor, you also will need to know what the, you want to know what the minimal qualifications are for the prime and also for yourself. Um, as a subcontractor, you want to know about the scope of work. The reason why you want to know to read the scope of work is because you want to be in a position to go to the prime who you're going to be subbing for and letting them know how you can bring value, how you can bring a cost-effective solution to their engagement with this customer. So understanding what's in the scope of work is key. You want to be able to review site plans and go to site visits. Again, typically the mandatory site visit is for the prime, but I always encourage subcontractors to go because you never know who you may meet and who you can engage with um, at the site visit. You're going to be meeting with decision makers, the buyer, potential primes, other businesses you could do business with. And then you may get to the site and realize that, yes, I can do this as a prime. But again, you if it's a required site visit and you're going to go after it as a prime, you've got to be there. Subcontractors are typically not required, but again, read the solicitation to find out. You want to understand the prime roles and responsibilities. You also want to understand the percentage of the work that the prime is responsible for performing. Um, you want to review the solicitation for potential subcontracting opportunities, the socioeconomic goals and factors that are in the solicitation that you can help fulfill based on your certification. Um, you want to be re review the terms and conditions in the solicitation to see whether any of those terms or conditions flow down to the subcontractor. So you want to be able to review that information. You want to research past winners and losers as well because you want to be able to align yourself with people who win. Um, and also you may be in a position to help past losers win. So that's a great way to be able to market your business to either winners or losers, depending on what solutions you're going to be bringing to the table. But again, same as the prime, you want to be able to research past winners or losers to see who you want to align yourself with. You want to be able to research um, also previous bid tabs and who won previous proposals. And that could be very, very important information, as well as pricing strategies for the bid tabs. You also want to be able to position yourself to pursue, as I stated, strategic alliance and joint ventures. Um, 
you and you can do that by going to the pre-bid and pre-proposal meetings and following up and following through on those meetings um, so you can connect with the winners and losers um, you can connect with the buyers and decision makers you definitely want to connect with someone from the supplier diversity office or dbe office or small business office remember those growth connections you want to connect with them as well at these meetings and then typically pre-bid and pre-proposal meetings have signing sheets and they are posted publicly and if they're not posted publicly you want to make sure you follow up with the buyer to or the procurement professional um, and get a copy of that signing sheet because that can be a great uh, direct marketing tool as well to see who was there and then follow up and reach out to them to see whether or not you want to join your team or you want them to join your team um, the outreach events and, and trade shows, again, you will get e-alerts and e-notifications of these from your client, whether they're special or targeted or general events. You want to make sure, again, you got to do your homework, do your research about the event because time is money to you and you have, you can, you can make more money, but you can't make more time. So you have to invest your time wisely. So you want to research the event, uh, see whether or not you or someone from your company needs to be there, and more importantly, who do you want to connect with that's going to be there? Because you want to be able to map that out and, and strategize that out as well. You have a strategy on engaging them as well. Um, so we talk about identifying the folks um, and then attend the event. Make sure when you attend the event, you hit the companies or the people you identified that you need to hit before you leave that event. Now, anybody else that you meet at that event outside of that targeted group that you, you definitely needed to do, definitely needed to see and touch, is icing on the cake. And then start to form a connection um, with uh, folks. So by following up and following through, letting them know the value or the solution that you can bring to, to their particular organization. Um, obtain sign-in sheets, registration sheets um, from events, uh, attain any other collateral or presentations um, so you can have that in your toolkit as well. So you want to be able to continue to and engage and respond, and this is all from just registering in your client's portal, you'll get this information. Now what I would say is, is that you're going to have to decide and this is a strategic decision as well, on which clients that you're going to be transactional with, you're just going to have a transactional relationship with, or which clients you're going to have be a strategic partner with. And there's a difference. Now, both will earn you money, but only one is going to earn you and your business long-term profits and wealth. So, and that's strategic partnerships. So think about it, a transactional firm. Say if you are a uniform provider, you provide uniforms. Now, you could be transactional. The customer order a certain quantity of uniforms, and you will supply those uniforms to them. They pay their bill. You keep on going. Um, and they can get the uniforms for anyone because you're not doing anything special with the uniforms. Um, so to set yourself apart from the competition, say if you offer the customer a uniform management system, where you would manage their uniform budget for their various departments and employees. You will provide them online 
um, ordering systems and cleaning services, uh, repair services, um, and you will provide them a business intelligence tool where they can make forecasting decisions about the uniform usage and replacements and costs. Again, you're providing them a full service solution, a uniform management solution to help them to control their costs, keep their operating costs, and, and increase their profits. But more importantly, um, the ease and convenience of their employees to get the proper uniforms. Um, you can offer um, customization, uh, say if they want specific logos or patches and things of that nature. Again, be able to provide the full service solution to your client as opposed to being transactional. So for me, a, strate a strategic partner is one who knows and and understands and shows their support of their customers' core strategies, can live up to their customers' core values, is agile, innovative, can grow with their customers, and has positioned themselves to bring their customers' value by anticipating their needs and is able to deliver cost-effective solutions with their customers' customer in mind. Meaning that not only is your brand important, but your customer's brand to their customer is important. And that is having very, you know, instead of being short-sighted, like, what can I get into it? Really being, you know, empathetic and compassionate and strategic and value-driven for your customer. Because, yes, they're your customer, but they're in, in a position to serve their customers, and now signing on with them, you become a part of their brand, and their customer is not going to want to hear it was ABC company, our subcontractor that made the error, because all the customer is going to see is that is your customer's brand. So again, making sure you decide for yourself whether you want to be a transactional business with your client or customer or whether you want to be a strategic partner. Because a strategic partner, you're talking about bringing solutions. You're talking about growing with your customers. You're talking about uh, creating loyal customers. You're talking about creating a, um, a, a customer experience that is beyond approach because it's going to be one of excellence. Uh, you're talking about uh, being innovative and, and putting yourself in a position to be innovative and agile uh, with your customers' needs. So again, that's a, a business decision that you have to make. Now, there are some customers that you're going to be transactional with, and there's going to be some customers you have to be strategic with. But you would have to make that decision. So again, my name is Tawanda Livingston. I was happy to be your GPS or guide and way maker for today's uh, vitamin C, which is connections. Um, you can find me on LinkedIn if you want to review my full bio. Uh, again, I have over 25 years of experience in equity, diversity, and inclusion, specifically in the area of supplier diversity. Uh, and some people call me the Pied Piper of small and diverse businesses, and I appreciate that name. However, my, my goal is to make sure everyone has access to this invaluable information. You know, once I figured out how government and public and private contracting works, 
folks were like, oh, oh no, 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 Tawanda, don't tell nobody. And I said, you're right. I'm not going to tell nobody. I'm going to tell everybody. So I hope you found value in this presentation today. And if you have any questions, feel free to email me. My email and, and LinkedIn contact information is in the description below, but it's tmcneil69 at comcast.net. You can find me at Twanda R. Livingston on LinkedIn. I enjoyed talking to you today about your vitamin C connection. Remember growth connections, leveraging those connections and, and turning those connections into capital is very, very important. Thank you, Wealth Warriors, for joining me today. Make it a safe and profitable week.